But because it's urine, you take those same hormones you would get in blood or saliva and you get the pathways because they've gone through the pathways. They've gone through the liver and they come out into the kidney. And so we get this bigger picture, this bigger snapshot of all your hormones. Plus, are they going down the good pathway? Are they going down the bad pathway? Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Today on the Rebel Health Coach Podcast, I have Dr. Carrie Jones. Dr. Carrie Jones is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on the topic of a women's health and hormones. She graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine School of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where she also completed her two-year residency in women's health, hormones, and endocrinology. Later, she graduated from Grand Canyon University's Master of Public Health program with a goal of doing more international education. She was adjunct faculty for many years at the National University of Natural Medicine, teaching gynecology and advanced endocrinology fertility, and has been the medical director for two large integrative clinics in Portland. She is the medical director for Precision Analytical Incorporated, creators of the Dutch Hormone Test. Today on the Rebel Health Coach Podcast, I have with me Dr. Carrie Jones, who is a naturopathic doctor, and she is now currently the medical director at Precision Analytical, and today we are going to discuss the Dutch test and hormones. Dr. Jones, welcome to my show. Thank you. I was super excited when you reached out. So. I was I was super excited you <laughs> responded. I was like, oh, I'm okay. <laughs> and then you just had a vacation or you it was at a conference in Hawaii. It was a combination. Yeah, it was uh, it's called Hawaii Doc Talks. And it's okay. done by doctors and they rotate islands every year. And so I did I was there for four days for that. And then I stayed extra for a vacation. Oh, good. Good for yeah. you. And you're, you're, I know you're in the, on the West Coast. Why don't you tell the listeners who Dr. Carrie Jones is? <laughs> who is Dr. Carrie Jones? Um, well, I joke all the time that women's health and hormones is the only thing that I know. That's, that's what I do. So you were saying earlier that you, your expertise in like men's health and diabetes and cardiovascular. It's, that's not my area. <laughs> but okay. if you are a female and you have hormone issues and um, you know, you're know you not quite feeling yourself, that's what I've been doing for the last 13 years. I did my residency in it. I focused in it in medical school. I got my master's in public health and focused in women's health, international women's health stuff, and then uh, just kept going down that track. Here I am. And how long have you been with Precision Analytical? I have been with them, I want to say five years, but I have not been paid formally all five years. I, I, I volunteered a lot of um, help for them in the beginning. When they first started, the owner approached me at my clinic and said, hey, would you consider trying this test on your patients? And I said, yeah, sure. I know who he was. His name is Mark Newman. I, he'd worked for other lab companies, other functional lab companies. So I had been following his career. 
I said, yeah, sure. I think you're amazing. So I'll, I'll try your test out. And then we just started... He started using me to bounce ideas off of and I started doing writing for him. And then it morphed into... I got a paycheck and then I was part-time with him and now full-time and the medical... I've been the medical director, I want to say about two years, two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. And now you so. still... Do you still have a practice on top of that? I do not. So I gave up a very busy practice probably about two years ago when I became the medical director. It's it was I loved practice. I love I absolutely loved my patients. I had great, funny, down to earth, fantastic patients. Um, it was just too much. I do a lot of travel with this job and right. it's a lot of education. I have a team of six that work for me. I have five doctors that work for me, and we have a, and then a, we have a support specialist. And wow. So I had something I had to give. So I had to yeah. put practice on hold for a little bit. Well, let's start out with what is a Dutch test? <laughs> what is the Dutch test? And and it's funny that you had written on the first form that you sent to me. Is it testing Dutch heritage? Because man, we get asked that often. Are you a genetic test? I'm not Dutch. Do I need to do your test? Right. Like, it's an acronym. It stands for dried urine test. For comprehensive hormones. And so, and comprehensive being the operative word, it's basically these little pieces of filter paper that people urinate on throughout the day, let dry, mail in, and we give them a comprehensive overview of all their hormones and their hormone pathways. I've got my test right here. Oh, good. <laughs> Which is very interesting in itself. So, why, why should somebody test their hormone? You know, I always say, and, and this is not because I work for a hormone or a test company, but I always say tests don't guess. And what happens is people are like, I don't feel good, right? I'm fatigued. I have PMS. I can't get pregnant. I have menopausal symptoms. I have brain fog. Men, men have the same complaints. Men say, I'm gaining weight. I'm fatigued. I have no motivation. I can't recover as much as, I, as well as I used to. What's going on? And so instead of just throwing supplements and vitamins and nutrients and dietary changes at them, which are important, but I say, well, let's test. Let's test and see what your hormones look like. What are your adrenals doing? What are your, what are your gonads doing? What are your ovaries doing? And then what pathways are they going down? And let's see if we can help this. This test, as you said, is a urine test. Yes. And there, there are serum tests, serum tests for this. There's also... Uh, saliva test, but saliva test has can be affected by a lot of different things. So you, you take, you get, I think it's five strips. You can. So there's four main strips you do in the day. So first thing in the morning, two hours later, around dinner and before bed. And then if if you wake up in the middle of the night because insomnia is so common, then you collect that fifth strip. So if you okay. wake up at two a.m. and you have to get pee, you get up, pee on the strip, and then right. we'll tell you your cortisol at that time. When you collect these, you have to let them dry and then send them back in an envelope. Yes. Because yeah. I had mine all over my countertop. Yep. <laughs> it was kind of unique. Yeah. Yep. Good thing I live by myself because I don't think my, <laughs> I don't think a significant other would like, why is your pee got strips on the countertop? The other thing, we have a lot of parents that say, you know, I did the test, but my kid ran off with the strip or the dog, <laughs> you know, they'll say their dog jumped up and I'm so I to warn people. <laughs> Check your strips. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what are the drawbacks of serum testing and saliva testing? Well, serum, I'd say the number one thing is people are afraid of needles. And then with saliva, just right off the bat, a lot of people can't produce enough saliva to fill up a tube, right? It's hard to freeze spit into a tube 
four times during the day. So collection right there can be really challenging. But serum and saliva tell you, they give you the snapshot of what's going through your body at that time, which is which is great, of course. Like there's your estrogen, there's your testosterone, there's your DHEAS, there's your cortisol, but it doesn't give you patterns and pathways, meaning you can you can get your blood drawn four times in the day. It's a big giant pain. So if you want to know what your cortisol is doing throughout the day, you have to do multiple collections. That's why saliva was created in part. And now with urine, you can do the same thing, collect multiple times in the day. But because it's urine, you take those same hormones you would get in blood or saliva and you get the pathways because they've gone through the pathways. They've gone through the liver and they come out into the kidney. And so we get this bigger picture, this bigger snapshot of all your hormones. Plus, are they going down the good pathway? Are they going down the bad pathway? What's going on? And by bad, I don't necessarily mean like cancer per se, but it might be. But right. it might just be even the pathway that causes acne, or the pathway that causes you know anger and irritation, or the pathway that causes mm. you know um, hair loss on your head. And so. These are important things that people want to know. It's the symptoms they have. So let's dig in there a little bit. What is it, what's actually measured? What are we measuring in the Dutch test? What are we measuring? So we're measuring all your standard hormones. We measure for male and female. They're the same, just different levels. So we measure all three of your estrogens, your uh, E1, your E2, and your E3. We measure progesterone, which we even measure that in men. Um, and actually in urine, we measure what's called progesterone metabolites. So progesterone is not very well found in urine, but it has two, what are called metabolites that um, very well represent progesterone like in blood or progesterone in saliva. And, and it's actually really helpful to know those progesterone metabolites. One of the metabolites, just as a side note, the alpha metabolite, it's the one that when it's increased, it, it helps with insomnia and it helps with anxiety. And so you have all these women that say, you know, when I when I'm losing out on progesterone, when I when I've stopped ovulating, maybe she's heading into menopause. She goes, I can't sleep like I used to, and I have worse anxiety. I'm like, oh yeah, because this this one metabolite of progesterone, this alpha metabolite, you're missing out on it, and it's part of the picture. So it's kind of neat to see that right. when you're looking at hormones. But then we also look at testosterone, and we look at DHEAS. And we look at, um, those are called androgens. Those are in the androgen family. And we look at the breakdown of those androgens. So there's um, four other hormones for that we look at. Okay. Big fancy names. I don't know who names them, but they're androsterone, etiocalanolone, and then 5-alpha and 5-beta androstanediol. And then of course, we look at DHT, which we hear a lot about DHT with like men in the prostate and 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 even for women, think of like your PCOS, your Picos picture, right? The acne, right. the facial hair, the hair loss on their head. So we look at that too. Okay. And then on top of that, we look at what's called your estrogen metabolism. So we tell you how is your estrogen getting detoxed in your liver? Do you go down the good pathway, the bad pathway? And then uh, do you go through phase two? So there's phase one and phase two. We look at both of those. And then we look at melatonin. Great for people who can't sleep. And then we look at a lot of cortisol markers. It's a, and then we look at some nutritional and some neurotransmitter metabolites. So we look at B12 and B6 and glutathione. And we look at a dopamine metabolite, so brain hormone. And we look at norepinephrine and epinephrine metabolite. And we look at serotonin metabolite. Okay. And so it's a lot, right? It's a lot, a lot that it's a lot. you can get out of your urine. And it's, it all gives you sort of that big 
picture of why am I tired? Why am I depressed? Why can't I sleep? Why can't I lose weight? All, all in one, all in six pages. <laughs> right. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's an in-depth, it's a very in-depth test. Yeah. And all you and, have to do is pee on a piece of filter paper right. four times in the day. <laughs> and, but you recently, right, exactly. It's just, it's really simple. No blood draws, no saliva. You don't have to spit in a tube, like you said, to your point. And it, it gives you a whole panel of stuff. But you recently added another test onto the Dutch test complete. You added the oat test. Yeah. So those, we call them Dutch extras. So we've we've always had melatonin. And about, I don't know, last sometime last year, nine months ago, we added what's called a DNA damage marker called 8-OHDG. It's a marker for oxidative stress. Okay. And then on top of that, in January of this year, January 2018, we added on those uh, three nutritional markers, so B12, B6, and glutathione. And those all tie into the Dutch, they all tie into hormones, right? right. They, B6 and B12 have a lot to do with estrogen detox and energy and the adrenals and brain production and all this good stuff. Glutathione, your most potent antioxidant in the body. So we just we have one marker for it. We don't have all the markers, but we have one of them. And then we have the neurotransmitter metabolites. So dopamine, which is called HVA. And then uh, norepinephrine and epinephrine, which is called VMA. And then serotonin, which is shortened to 5-H-I-A-A. So we take an even bigger picture look to see what's going on. Yeah, mine doesn't have the, that test on there. We had to have done it by January 2nd when we added them. Yeah, I missed. I, I got this in December. Uh, so I didn't get those added, but I'm going to redo it because I've been working on some of my oxidative stress levels. And uh, see how it comes back the second time around. Why is it important for people to measure their cortisol levels and their cortisol production and their adrenal glands? Because I think in this day and age, and I'm sure you'd agree, I mean, people are just under a tremendous amount of stress from their life, from the environment, from their food, from all over. And so knowing how your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, your HPA axis is functioning is really important for a lot of people. And I think people don't quite realize the amount of stuff cortisol does in your body. You know, cortisol's primary job is blood sugar regulation. It's the cortisol is called a glucocorticosteroid. And gluco, because of glucose, cortico, it's made in the cortex of the adrenals and steroid because steroid hormone. So I tell people, you know, if you don't, if you if your cortisol is a mess, you more than likely your blood sugar is going to be a mess too. And so I mean, that's just one of the many things it does. It helps, cortisol helps fight infection and helps reduce autoimmune risk and it helps with rhythms in the body, even reproductive rhythms like menstrual cycles. And, and it does a lot. And, and it helps with energy. How many people are report being burnt out, stressed out, tired? And then on the flip side, if you've got too much of it, now you're in fight or flight and you have anxiety and you can't sleep and you have panic attacks. And so it's good to know a lot about your cortisol, yeah. Because you want to know where you stand. I mean, if I know quite a few people that I, I see their posts on Facebook in the morning saying, I didn't sleep at all last night. Right. And it's like, okay, yeah. what's going on? You yeah, know? exactly. And as you know, it can be a lot of things. It can be you know cortisol-driven. It can be melatonin-driven. It can be adrenaline-driven. And, and if you're just 
if you don't know, then you're just going to be trying supplements and maybe they work, you know, and maybe they, maybe they, maybe they don't, you've just spent a bunch of money and you're like, Oh, this stuff doesn't work. But yeah, you were just going down the wrong rabbit hole. Right. There's a lot of rabbit holes there. There's a lot of rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like one of those people that go down the rabbit holes quickly. So uh, it's a good thing. I like to investigate things. So it's a good thing. Let's talk a little bit about why it's important to measure our metabolites. Yeah, actually, I'll give the, my most favorite example is estrogen when looking at the estrogen metabolites. So as I was saying earlier, you know, men and women make, make estrogen. And then once the body's done with it, it has to go somewhere. So it pushes it through detoxification. And we have two phases, primarily, phase one and phase two. Um, some people say phase three is then the actual ability to get it out of the body. Uh, so we look at that. We look at those estrogen metabolites in phase one detox, and I can say, hey, look, I think you're going down the pathway that maybe can cause cancer if not dealt with. Or I can say, oh, you're, this is working. You're going down the right pathway. This is good. Nice job. And then taking it one step further, we then say, all right, now can your body completely neutralize it and put it through phase two detox? And we look at that. So just knowing your estrogen alone isn't enough. I mean, you think of how many men and women go, I, I'm estrogen dominant. I have estrogen dominant symptoms. I have PMS or heavy periods or tender breasts or men say I'm gaining weight and I feel depressed and unmotivated. That can all be estrogen. But if you just look at estrogen, you're only looking at a very small part of the pie. You still have to see like maybe, maybe your estrogen levels are totally normal. But the problem is you can't detox it out of the body. So it just floats and floats and floats around again. And so you need to address that. One thing a lot of people throw at this is dim. <laughs> Everybody throws dim at it. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> Drives me nuts. Yeah, it, me too. It's like, <laughs> I bought some dim and I'm like, oh, that's great. Well, do you know what it does? You know, mm -hmm. it's it just, I want to scream when... <laughs> And when DIM works, for your listeners, if they don't know, DIM is methane. It's one of the constituents of the broccoli, kale, cauliflower family. But it only works on phase one detox. That's where, that's where it specializes. And so if you don't have a phase one problem, or let's pretend you have a phase one and a phase two problem, then DIM actually might make the situation worse. And people don't realize that. Okay. Because and my analogy is a, is a bathtub. So phase one is, is the water coming into the bathtub. How much water? How fast is it? You know, which, which kind of water is it? Is it the good kind? Is it the cancerous kind? And then phase two is the ability of your drain. So dim affects the water in, in phase one of your detox. But if your drain is shut, then you can take all the dim in the world. It doesn't matter. You have to open up your drain. Otherwise, you can just make things worse. Right. To sign up for my monthly newsletter... Text RHCP, that's Rebel Health Coach Podcast, or Red Hot Chili Peppers, to 22828. Again, that's RHCP to 22828. Thank you and have an awesome day. All right, now I'm looking at my metabolism pathway here. Okay. <laughs> My 4-O-H is high. Uh-oh. Yeah. Mm. That's what I said. Hmm. What's your 2-O-H? My 2-O-H was 81.3, and 4-O-H was 14.3, and 16-O-H was 4.3. 
How's your phase two looking? How the in the lower left hand corner is that little fan gauge it's facing a, low or high? Low. Ooh. Yeah. So you you unfortunately fit into my analogy. So you have the wrong water coming into your bathtub, and then your drain is slow. So I got some work to do. You got some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> and where does glutathione play a role in that? That's a great question. So glutathione um, plays a role. So if you're on our on the Dutch test, uh, but just in general, when you're thinking of a steroid pathway, so 4-OH, if it doesn't go through phase two, if it doesn't get methylated, which is phase two, then it turns tail and it goes down a different pathway. It's called the quinone pathway with a Q. And your body has two stop gaps on that quinone pathway. One is the um, enzyme quinone reductase made by the made by the quinone reductase SNP, and the other stop gap is um, your GST enzyme made by the GST SNP, which is glutathione sulfur transferase. So if you have 4OH going down that naughty pathway, glutathione is one of your preventive measures to get it to stop and get rid of it safely. And that's where glutathione works. Right, and that's what yeah. I've added. Yes. Um, the other one um, that will affect GST, but is sulforaphane. Are you a fan of sulforaphane? I, the, um, that's the active ingredient in broccoli sprouts, and it works really well with quinone reductase. So it works with the other um, stopgap, although it does affect glutathione. It's very, it is helpful to glutathione. Okay. So um, instead of DIM, which people would say, well, I, I eat broccoli, it's actually the sprouts that right. have the highest um, amount. And I do eat a lot of broccoli. so. I'm working on that too. So Perfect. that's why I said I'm going to do the test, redo the test here after I do some playing around with my body <laughs> because I'm a guinea pig. Your own lab rat? Yeah, I am a lab rat. <laughs> Me I, too. I'm my own lab rat. I yeah. just did the, um, we have another test called the cycle map test, which is where you collect, women collect every day, almost every day of their cycle. And the lab graphs it out. And tells wow. you what your estrogen and progesterone are doing just about every day. And so I just lab ratted myself on that. I think that. I saw that on Instagram. Yeah, I put that on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't great. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, got some you, work to do. And you even admitted it on Instagram. <laughs> oh, completely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was funny. I, I joke. I was like, you know, I was having a lot of hormonal symptoms. Not, a, I mean, enough that I was complaining about them. Right. And I thought, wait a minute. I work for a hormone company. Like, I can do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. What is the difference between this is this DHEA mm. and DHEA sulfate? So, yes. So they're not the same thing. And everybody thinks DHEA and DHEAS are the same thing. So DHEA is made first and it's made in the adrenal glands primarily, although some of it is made in the gonads or in the ovaries, but primarily it's made in the adrenals. And in the body, converts it on. So if it is in sort of a holding pattern, it sulfates it, which puts it as DHEA-S. Okay. Now, DHEA-S does not have a circadian rhythm, but DHEA does. It's highest in the morning, lowest at night. And if the body can't sulfate, if you have a sulfation problem, then DHEA moves downstream and because becomes other things like something called androstenedione. And then androstenedione converts into other things. It converts into testosterone. It converts into those two metabolites I said earlier, etiocalanolone, androsterone. And so a lot of people just focus on DHEAS because 
it's a good indicator of how much maybe DHEA is in the body. It's not a hundred percent good indicator. It's it's a much smaller percent good indicator, if that makes sense, because DHEA can make other things like androstenedione. So you have to look kind of at all those metabolites to see well, where exactly is DHEA, no S, going? Is it going to S? Is it going to androstenedione and then continuing on down? And so it's important to know that. And one of the big reasons that I don't think people realize is um, inflammation lowers sulfation. And so if you just look at DHEAS, if you just got a blood draw or you just got your saliva test done and you look at your DHEAS and it's low, you might think, oh, I need to take DHEA. But really, if you're a very inflamed person, like you have you know, gut issues, let's say, or diet issues or something, then you may actually make normal amounts of DHEA, no S, but it can't put the S on because the inflammation gets in the way. And so it just moves downstream. It just keeps going and bypasses the DHEAS completely. Hmm. So what's cool about the Dutch test is you see, all these, you see all these markers. So you can say, okay, my DHEA is getting divided up evenly or, oh no, it's going down this one pathway preferentially and that's where it's going. And what would cause somebody's DHEAS to be very high? Well, the big one, of course, in women, we think of PCOS. So insulin problems is a big one. Any supplementation. So a lot of people do, you know, oral or sublingual DHEA. That'll drive it up quite high. Um, Certain medications, believe it or not, Wellbutrin, which is an antidepressant medication. Right. Um, Xanax, which is anti-anxiety, also known as Alprazolam. And then um, certain ADD medications like Ritalin. Ritalin can drive up. DHEA. Um, and then uh, alcohol. Alcohol can affect uh, DHEA. In fact, I think I was just reading a study. Alcohol can raise DHEA something like close to 20%, 17% wow. um, from regular moderate use of alcohol. And, and, and we see this, obviously not every single person, but I have had plenty of practitioners that say, oh, this patient drinks a bottle of wine a night. Like that's probably doing it. Like, well, a bottle of wine a night coupled with insulin problems, you know, for sure. Or they're on Wellbutrin or they're on Wellbutrin and Ritalin. Like, well, it's medication induced. But then the last big thing is stress. DHEA is very protective um, in the brain against the effects of cortisol. So if you've high levels of cortisol, high stress, then DHEA can go up to counter it to prevent the damage in the brain. Okay. So sometimes I want DHEA high. Sometimes in a very stressful situation, and maybe somebody gets their test drawn or done, I'll say, you know, it's okay. Let's just leave it. Your, your stress is a 10 out of 10. Like, let's protect your brain. Right. So why does Dutch combine metabolites with DHEAS to for total DHEA? It's for that, it's for that, for that reason. Because we, we don't test DHEA, no S. Okay. But we look at all the pathways it could go down and then we add that together and say what it's kind of a total DHEA potential. Okay. I guess maybe a better word for it. So can you even make DHEA? Because if you just look at the S and it's low, you might think, oh, I don't make DHEA. But you have to look at everything else to go, oh no, I actually do make it. It's just going down other pathways. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's go to cortisol. Yeah. <laughs> How's yours? <laughs> <laughs> he laughs. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to laugh. Let me find it. Actually, my cortisol wasn't bad. A little high in the afternoon. And I, 
And I think I can, what I figured was that was because of, I, I work out at 9 a.m. and I do a, uh, a very intense workout. So I think that's where my, I get that zip up. Yeah. Then a little afternoon crash. My cortisol. Do you notice that afternoon? I do. Or no, I used to. Okay. And since I've been taking the glutathione, I haven't noticed it. Oh, that's great. That's very cool. Plus, I've added a quarter teaspoon of baking soda to my regimen three times a day. Are you liking that? And that's helped out balance that. I I haven't been getting that crash. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's fantastic. Like I I said, I'm my own lab lab rat. (laughs) And the thing with cortisol is, you know, it, it changes by the second. And yeah. so getting testing done um, is fantastic because I mean, I tell people, hey, when you test your cortisol, do it on a typical day. You know, don't do it on a weekend. Don't do it on vacation. Don't do it when you're relaxed. If Monday through Friday are basically about the same, roughly, you know, the same amount of stress, the same amount of things, that's when you should do it because your afternoon point in December when you did this is, and if you know you work out every day at 9 a.m., like you're probably, you probably look like that most, most days of the week. Right. And so it gives you a good snapshot of like, all right, here's where I'm at sort of in my, on my day to day. And then what we need to do. Right. One thing I noticed though, is my melatonin waking was 3,179. Do you take melatonin? Yes. Yeah, that's why. So first of all, I'll say we do collect our melatonin off the waking point, but it doesn't mean we're not collecting your actual literal waking melatonin because what happens is is you you gather melatonin in your bladder all through the night okay. and when you wake up first thing to pee on the strip all the melatonin that's been collected through the night shows up on the waking point so it's not like a blood draw if you've got your blood drawn it's that moment right ours is a delayed response okay urine because it sits in the bladder but our test is only a baseline for melatonin and melatonin of course goes through first pass um, in the gut and the liver, and then it explodes into a ton of metabolites. It doesn't mean you're taking too much melatonin. It just means your body is effectively clearing. I've seen it up to like 10, 12,000. Wow. You, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry at 3,000. Okay. It just means you're on it. Okay. The difference between free and total cortisol. Yeah. And this is a big one. This is a big concept for a lot of people, myself included, five years ago. Just like any other hormone, I mean, your body... You, you, you make cortisol and then only a very small fraction is free, right? Only like less than 5% of any hormone is free. Hormones are like children. Your body doesn't leave them unattended at any time. <laughs> binds them up and puts them other places so they can't like wreak havoc. And so cortisol is the same way. You have all this cortisol that was made, but only a very tiny percent is free. And so we, we report what's called total cortisol or metabolized cortisol which was your cortisol potential. That's how much you, you, you know, made in total. And then the very teeny tiny percent that's free report that as well. Now it's the free that does stuff. It's the free cortisol that like deals with your stress and deals with your blood sugar and, you know, deals with your crashes or your causes insomnia. But we still need to know is your free cortisol because you low, because you don't have it because, or is it, is it actually the opposite? You actually make tons of cortisol. Just your body is not allowing very much to be free and available. Mm. And so it gives us that bigger cortisol picture. Why would you think maybe your cortisol is normal when it's actually quite low? 
Well, one of the big reasons is that it could be converting to cortisone, which okay. is inactive. So we test cortisone. And people often confuse cortisol and cortisone. They think cortisone because they see on um, it, it, like uh, the grocery store, they'll see like, oh, hydrocortisone cream. Well, hydrocortisone cream, hydrocortisone is actually, it's terrible naming. Hydrocortisone is cortisol. It's cortisone that gets hydrolyzed, it becomes cortisol. So it's just a fancy, stupid pharmaceutical name. But cortisone, no hydro, just cortisone on our test is inactive, it's inert. And the body will convert back and forth between cortisol and cortisone depending on the need, depending on the gland, depending on the tissue, what's going on. And so a person may be making plenty of cortisol and the body's going, wow, this is a lot of cortisol. I don't like this, and it will deactivate all of it, for the most part, to cortisone. And so you may just get a, maybe you did a saliva test and you see all this low-free cortisol and you think, oh my gosh, I have to go on all these adrenal supplements and I need to you know, stimulate cortisol. And then you look at your cortisone on the Dutch test and go, oh, I'm just deactivating. That's different treatment altogether. My okay. gland makes cortisol, it's just getting deactivated. Right. And the most common, two most common reasons that we see over and over is one is just after acute illness. So think about when you have the flu, like I just had the flu. <laughs> I thought I'd miss the flu. I was so happy. I hit March, didn't hit the, get the flu. Everyone's getting the flu. And then I got the flu. Uh. So, but you know, when you get the flu and you, you get, you, you're really sick, but then you get over all the symptoms, except for like a week or two, you're still tired. Or you're still kind of coughing. You're still like run down. One of the reasons is the body will push your cortisol to cortisone. It's a, it's a protect, it's a healing mechanism. Okay. And then the other big reason we see often is um, with long-term stress where the body's had enough, where the body's like, I don't want to make all this, I don't need all this cortisol hammering my tissues all the time. I'm going to convert it to cortisone. And so sometimes I can look at the Dutch test and say to people, Hey, I think your body's trying to tell you to slow down. And it's amazing the number of times people go, yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But they don't. They just keep burning the candle at both ends. I mean, I I think because a lot of people work a lot of hours these days. Uh And I think that's a a big thing. And we're always connected, right? Like We were talking about social media and Instagram. And yeah, we're always connected. We're always on. We're always going and doing, hustling. And the body has to keep up on top of doing all the other stuff the body's supposed to be doing, right. like protecting us and healing us. And now I've I always say God had made a God gave us an amazing body inside that's supposed to be working properly, but we screw it up. Right, exactly. <laughs> we do screw it up. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, all right. What type of hidden infections in your gut or blood can cause high cortisol? Any, any infection, because okay. cortisol is anti-inflammatory to a point. Okay. And so when it can be hidden infection, overt infection, doesn't matter. And we see it a lot. Everything from, you know, candida or SIBO or, you know, gram-negative bacteria, worms. You know, it doesn't, gram-positive bacteria, it doesn't matter. We see it all the time. And sometimes people don't even realize it. They don't realize they have a gut infection, and but they have this perpetually high cortisol. I'm like, man, you really need to go get... GI testing. Let's see. Right. See what's going on in your stool. Yep. Yep. Test, don't guess. Exactly. Poop in a cup for science, people. Right. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I get questions a lot. Like people are like, well, what do you think's wrong? And I'm like, well, there could be a 
multitude of problems. Let's yeah. let's run some tests and see. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Unfortunately, humans do not come with a, uh, like a manual man. or an instruction right. manual, right? Like my car. Like, right. I don't, like I have no idea what's going exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> this came from a listener. Being as so many women self-medicate with estriol creams, can it be reliably measured in urine? Yes. Yes. So we do something that's called a split. So when somebody uses vaginal estriol cream, and for people listening, it's commonly used for vaginal dryness. Estriol is is the third estrogen, E3. It's the estrogen of choice by the uh, tissues in the vagina. And so when women are on that, they can absolutely do urine testing. We just we can we can tell the difference between cream and not cream. Okay. On our test. So absolutely. But I will tell women, be careful because the the um, tissues in the vagina are what's called a mucous membrane. And they suck up hormone way better than other skin in your body. So for example, women who put cream on like their their arm, let's say their inner arm, that tissue is different than the vaginal tissue. So they may find they don't actually need quite as much hormone in their vagina that they thought they did because that tissue sucks it up. It loves it. Okay. And so just FYI to women, mucous membranes, especially down there, mm. utilize it quite well. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. What mistakes do you see most often by practitioners in the field that use the Dutch test? Um, I'd say a big mistake is timing. Uh, we Men and menopausal women can test at any time. And I would say this is the tr- true for any hormone test. I've talked to uh, colleagues of mine who work for other hormone companies. But women who are still cycling, the ideal time to test is in the luteal or luteal phase. So day, roughly days 19, 20, 21 of a 28-day cycle. And it's amazing the number of times practitioners just hand their patient a test and say, we'll just go collect. And they'll collect on day one of their period or day seven or day 12. But the reason we want it in that luteal or the second half of their cycle is that's when progesterone comes out to play, hopefully. So we want to test that. If you collect in the first part of your cycle, you should have very, very low progesterone. That's normal. And so we want to collect in the second half. Hmm. The other mistake we see a lot are people who test on the birth control pill. It's it's not so much a, a mistake is that um, I just want people to remember that if the birth control pill is working, it will shut down your own endogenous hormone production. And then the, your estrogen and your progesterone are generally very low. And that's normal. It means the pill is working. I'm not saying it's healthy. I am just saying it's the mechanism of action of the pill. And so if you have somebody on the pill, which is common, and you know, a lot of right. women are on the pill, just when you hormone test, expect to see very low levels. Okay. So the, I'd say like timing is the big one that we would be the mistake that happens. Hmm. A lot. Interesting. So yeah. timing, timing, and day, what did you say? Days 19? 19, 20, 21-ish of a 28-day cycle. So then so then people ask, well, my patient has a 35-day cycle. I'm like, all right, we'll move it up. Move it up to more like days 23, 24. Or they'll say, well, my patient has a 25-day cycle. I'm like, all right, we'll move it down. Do it like, you know, day 16, 17. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. All right. Now this one comes from a fellow classmate. Five alpha reductase question for you. Yes. Most of the recommendations for helping reduce and inhibit 5-alpha reductase are also not recommended for women who are wanting to have children. Examples are salpimento, uh, EGCG, which is 
a polyphenol from green tea. What would you recommend for a woman who is wanting to conceive or reduce PCOS? So I actually do use the five, those five alpha reductase. I use saw palmetto. So the, the list is saw palmetto. It's stinging nettle root pygium, which is pygium africanum. Okay. Um, EGCG, like you said, is in green tea. Reishi mushroom and zinc. Those are all in the like, we call them quote five alpha blockers. Okay. So to speak. And so I will use, if somebody is trying to actively trying to conceive, I will still use them. And I'll just say, when you have a positive pregnancy test, you have to stop them. You can't on the other, except for zinc, they can stay on zinc. But I still use them when they're trying to conceive. I just have them stop with a positive pregnancy test. Stinging nettle is used for a lot of things. Well, stinging nettle, you can differentiate between leaf and root. So leaf is the diuretic. Okay. And root is the five alpha blocker, quote unquote blocker. So yeah. yeah. And and if some people are concerned, um, you know, then I may stick stick with just zinc and reishi mushroom. You know, things that are a little more um, uh, like reishi's could be more you know medicinal for food based. Right. I, I you could say, but yeah, I still use them. I still use them on women trying to conceive PCOS women. Okay. I just have them stop. I mean, it's the same for a lot of a lot of the herbs I use in general, or adrenal herbs, ovulation herbs. They're not tested. In, for pregnant women. And so I just say, stay on them until you get a positive test and then stop them. And, stop and them. I, but I don't, I also don't use herbs uh, like mistletoe, like, like, or, you know, certain herbs that are very, you know, concerning maybe for trying with someone trying to get pregnant. I stick to well-known herbs. Right. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've never heard of mistletoe. What is that? What do you use that for? Uh, I don't, but I know I have colleagues that use it in, uh, in cases of, like cancer. They'll use it okay. in cancer treatments. Okay. All right. The next part of this question, if the five alpha path is more managed, is there a risk that cortisol will then become high? Um, not so much high. It will. So five alpha reductase does help break down or does break down cortisol. I will say that for all the people, the thousands of tests I've seen of people on, let's say, salt palmetto or stinging nettle root, I have not seen their cortisol go crazy as a result. Okay. Yep. I cannot make that correlation. Okay. In theory, it should affect it because it's 5-alpha reductase, but I have not seen it go crazy. Okay. Which is entirely possible because the person is usually also on some sort of HPA access support as well. So they're getting double support. They're getting the adrenal support and they're getting the 5-alpha for the androgen support. Hmm. And maybe that's why. Okay. But I don't see cortisol go crazy. No. With sal palmetto or zinc or EGCG. Okay. Yeah. All right. As we discussed earlier in the in this episode, that the oat test was recently added. Are there any plans for future testing to be added? To this? Yes. Oh my gosh, we have a lot of things going on in our little science laboratory. <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned. Unfortunately, I'm not allowed to mention any of okay. them. But we do. I mean, we do have some other oats that we are looking at. Um, we had been, you know, polling, kind of informally polling practitioners for the last couple of months asking, you know, your wish list, what else would you want on an oat test? And so some things we can do with the technology that we have in the lab and other things, we just don't own those machines and and we can't do them. But we are looking at adding other oats and doing some other um, cool stuff, adding some other cool testing. So stay tuned. Okay, cool. 
Well, let's explain for the listeners that oats is organic acid testing. Yes, organic acid test. It's not yes. like oatmeal. Oh, right. I know. It's another one of those funny acronyms. Right. Dutch and oat, right? <laughs> so that, uh, yeah, we're not testing your oatmeal levels. Not oatmeal. Right. All right. Last organic question for you. I asked all my listeners is if you had like an hour to just kill, what artist or album would you listen to? <gasps> well, I was totally chilling out right before I was um, on here. Actually, I should say I was rocking out. It was I was listening to the CCR channel on Pandora. So, oh wow, I don't know that it's like chill out, but that definitely put me in a really super good mood before oh, good. I dialed into this. So, well, I have to say, it seems like you're always in a pretty good mood. <laughs> I am always in a pretty yeah. good mood. Yeah, actually, I did my um, speaking of, I did my. My oat panel, right? I said I did my cycle map, and with that, I did my organic acid, and it was perfect. In fact, it was awesome. so perfect, I took a screenshot and sent it to the owner of the lab, Mark Newman. Right. And I said, "Look, I'm perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm perfect. I'm perfect. Not in hormones. My hormones are not perfect, but my dopamine and norepinephrine and serotonin markers, my B12, B6, those were all great. So I think. Yeah, for the listeners, you need to follow Dr. Carrie Jones on Instagram. It's she's a, <laughs> she's a hoot and and. It's she's got some. She posts some really good stuff. Hey, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, and I'm very grateful that you took the time to be with me today. Yeah, I'm. I'm psyched that you reached out. Yeah. This is great. I mean, a lot of people out there don't understand kind of what we do, and the Dutch test and the oats test are something that really help us as practitioners get to the root cause of issues. And this is a great. This is a great test. I would agree. Yeah. Tests don't guess. Yeah. And, but that goes for anything. Thyroid, iron, right. vitamin D, right? Like any marker you're curious. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm amazed at some of the blood work I see. And then on, a, on a, just a regular panel, there's so many things missing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're not even running GGT. Right. You know? I want to see GGT. Right. So. Yeah. I just had a practitioner, not to totally get sidetracked because we're at the end, but um, on the Dutch test, their glutathione marker was off, and then they ran a GGT, and the GGT was high. And I was like, uh, "What? It, they have a glutathione problem. There's a liver problem happening right now." Uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot of things that aren't run on a normal panel anymore, and, but that's a whole other rabbit hole. I know. I yeah, I hear you. So, anyway, I appreciate you, and I I'm grateful for you taking the time out, and thank you so much for being with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. This has been fun. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Dr. Carrie Jones today's guest. If you would like to have a Dutch test done on you, please feel free to reach out to me through the website at tomunderwood.net. That's Tom with an H, T-H-O-M underwood.net. Or email me at T-H-O-M at T-H-O-M-Underwood.net. That's Tom with an H at TomUnderwood.net. And I can save you $100 off the price of a Dutch test complete. And I will be certainly glad to help you and read it for, help you read it also after you get the results back. Thank you and have a great day. 